Rony Zone Media and Once Upon a Time Fan Podcast proudly present Disney Once Again. Hello and welcome to Disney Once Again. In this podcast, we will revisit a Disney classic animated film. We're going to give our favorite things about it and any connections that we see to ABC TV's Once Upon a Time. Your hosts are Jeff Roney and Colleen Roney. And now on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to another Disney Once Again podcast. Yes. Hello. We are here. My name is still Jeff Roney, and I'm joined by... Colleen Roney. And the first dog lady is waiting down there. Hopefully, she will fall asleep. Mm-hmm. We have watched Peter Pan, the 1953 Disney animated classic. And I did want to mention that this is podcast episode 234. The show notes can be found at onceuponatimepodcast.com slash 234. All the links and interesting notes and that kind of a thing. So let's go ahead and dive in. I think that's a great idea. Perfect. <laughs> All right. I, I'll start and then you can kind of... By all means, please do. All right. So what's interesting about this cartoon is it wasn't set in a magical place. It was set in London. Mm-hmm. So it gave it a real feel. And I think it helped people that watched it connect more. That it was more reality-based with a magical sense. That's what I thought. <clears throat> Possibly. And I think that it's noteworthy to say that this is not really a true fairy tale. It true. has elements of fairy tale, but it's not a true fairy tale by definition of fairy tale. But it is a wonderful story. It is. And I'll say this again in my notes, but it is probably the most deeply imaginative story thus far that we've watched in these mm-hmm movies that we've seen this really is deep and it's we could fly people can you know mm-hmm. someone saying to somebody you can fly by doing this and this and that i'm in we all want to fly and it's just fascinating and getting back to what you were saying is that this animated film did not start with a book and it did no. not start with once upon a time right it started with a family in London, mm-hmm. and it just it went on from there. It did. It's a great story, and it takes you into your childhood, into a place where you were able to dream up things. Sky's the limit, and nothing's crazy or out of the ordinary. There are a number of things that really prove that point. And the one is the clash between the adult and the child. The father wants Wendy specifically Mm -hmm. to grow up. Be practical, he said. Right. And he's concerned about her living in this nursery and having these stories and having all this imagination, living in with this imagination. Well, and part of it is because she was sharing those stories with her brothers. So it wasn't like she herself just had this wonderful imagination and that was the end of it. She was 
basically sucking her brothers into her world of fantasy. Yes. And it is interesting to note that as we're talking about childhood and imagination and all that, Peter Pan chose their house Mm -hmm. because they believed. Right. And the idea came to me when I was thinking about it later is, what about the other houses? What about, you understand? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was, they were special. They were chosen. Mm -hmm. And that's why Wendy kept telling these stories. But it was really because of Pan choosing them. Right. And I, I thought that was really neat. And I think as a child, we would all want to be chosen for that kind of thing. And so, again, it kind of builds on that. And, and there are some children who do have imaginary friends who are very Peter Pan-like. And I don't know if it's because they've seen the movie or what have you, but there are some children who have these vivid imaginations. And it's an amazing thing to listen to some of the stories that they have to tell. And I can vouch for what this story is really about. And I'm not trying to go to the end, but I'm right. just saying that when you grow old, older, mm-hmm. you do believe less and less in magic and these types of things. And you get practical and you huh? think about mortgages and bills and the future and and it draws you away from that type of magical imagination that you had well, when you were a I, kid. I dare say even jaded because adults tend to be more jaded because we view the world around us as it is in reality and not as we wish it were. Yeah. When we were children. I believe that there can be a child in your heart Mm -hmm. as you grow up Mm -hmm. and as you face and deal with responsibilities and things like that. But you can have a childlike dream and hope and belief and that kind of a thing. Walt Disney was a perfect example of Mm -hmm. that. He understood bills and deadlines and all this kind of thing. But all these things he was doing was because of things maybe he thought of as a child. We saw a bit of the making of Peter Pan and he saw the play mm-hmm. in Marceline yeah. when he was a child. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with him. And he actually played Peter Pan yeah. in an early staging Production. of that at yeah. his school. Yeah. So. We're all experiencing this together, this keeping alive this magical, childlike imagination and, and hope and that kind of a thing. And then I saw Nana with the tonic, and I was <laughs> drugged back to my childhood. I had to take cod liver oil oh. and other types of awful stuff. I was a sickly child, and... Mm. So at that point, the doctor said, well, give him some cod liver oil. I think I had uh, hemoglobin issues with my blood. But wow, the poor dog yeah. was a little bit. It reminded me of R2-D2 in Return of the Jedi. The dog had the plate on her head yeah. with all the spoons and the awful tonic. And yeah. instead of a playing dog, which I imagine the dog played with the kids, the dog administered or at least, yeah, poured it she out was. into the... She did. I think, oh, my God. And she got so distracted that she poured it on her paw and then had to lick it off and Ugh. was disgusted by the taste of it. So, it's, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. I don't even want to think about that. But anyway, the poor dog was a nursemaid and yeah. a tonic they giver tra- and a... Right. They treated her like a nursemaid. Yeah. So, anyway. And she actually enjoyed that. That was her role and that was her job. And she wanted to do that. 
which is perfectly ridiculous when you think about it. A dog can't be a, a nursemaid. Sure. But little Nana was able to. She was very cute. These kids in this family, mm-hmm. what a wild family. <laughs> I was watching all these things and I was thinking to myself, I could have never played pirates with another child with pointy wooden swords mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a hanger yeah. swinging around yeah. at another brother or family member child sitting in open drawers on a chest of drawers. Mm-hmm. And jumping on the bed. This was a wild house. Yeah. And the bed was made up to be a pirate ship mm-hmm. and all this kind of thing. I was laughing. I was going, there's no way I could have got away with this as a kid. So Right. Anyway, I mean, my sister and I of... used to play around and stuff like that. But we didn't never did the types of things that these kids did when mom and dad were around. No way. I love the way the children drew in and made imagination and fun in the present day in their home. Right. They found things like the poor father's shirt front and they made a treasure map and they were hiding little treasures. Remember they were talking about his cufflink, gold cufflinks and they were using what was there now as fun little imaginary things. But do you hear what you just said? They were using ordinary things Mm -hmm. as their play things, but they didn't see them in that light it wasn't a hanger that john was wielding it was a hook Mm -hmm. and it wasn't pieces of wood it was a sword Mm -hmm. and it wasn't gold cufflinks it was treasure they never refer to them as father's cufflinks until later it was the treasure so i mean even then they still had such vivid imagination they didn't see it and see as adults again jaded adults will say oh well they were playing with a hanger and some sticks and right right but no the kids were playing they it was real to them which makes this whole story so fantastic because you have to you know as an adult you could look at this and say well it was part of their imagination it was a dream etc cetera, etc cetera. but you start to realize was it though? Right. You, I don't know if you want to talk about it. We can wait, but you're talking about the mirroring of the cartoon Absolutely. with the actual other sort other side of the story with oh, Neverland. Absolutely. That's the other thing is and this is where we can kind of tie into the once upon a time with okay. this right. is that Neverland was a made up place in the movie. It was second start of the right. And straight on till morning, which is when you think about it, where is that? Right. That to me says outer space, but to a child, that's like, oh, well, that's the gateway to Neverland. Mm -hmm. In Once Upon a Time, it was a made up place in Malcolm's head when he was a boy. He dreamed it and then it became a reality for him. You you see that mirroring right there. Mm -hmm. But even within just the animated feature... The um, Mr. Darling, George, was voiced, uh, the actor that voiced him was Hans Conried. He also was the same actor who voiced Captain Hook. Yes. Yep. And when they were talking, Captain Hook had his bellowing moments and so did George. And not only that. George got very frustrated and irritated and blustery and flustered and started tripping over everything and tripping over Nana. Nana, who was doing what? 
she was arranging the blocks right. into a castle type shape, mm-hmm. which is very fairy tale. And he got very unhappy with her about, you know, that whole, she's in, in, and that's why he sent her outside to go up, be outside in the doghouse. Captain Hook on Never Never Land, he referred to everyone as blathering blockhead. Right. Yeah. So there's that mirroring True. of the blockheads, you know, derogatory statement. And there's Nana playing with blocks. So there's that kind of uh, dichotomy there. Um, he, father, George, was putting on his finest attire to go to a play or to dinner or something. They were going out for the evening. And Hook, at one point, asks to have his Sunday best brought out. Right. So dressing up in his finest coat, his finest whatever to do, to go out and, you know, do what he was doing for the evening. Kind of a, there's that mirroring there. And, the tre- uh, and, and a, one more thing. And his, what? The the Sunday best Oh, his included, Sunday best, right. His Sunday best included a gold hook. Yep. Which yep. is a tie-in to Once Upon a Time, gold, Mr. Gold, yep. Hook, Captain Hook, and how the two of them are connected. And didn't ever get along very well. Well, yeah. Here and there they had their, yeah. yeah so. um, but but not only that, like you said, the, the children used, or the boys used father's shirt front as the map. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but back in the day, they had simple shirts, but if you wanted to go out for the evening, they had shirts, shirt fronts, and they were usually made out of paper. They weren't hmm. cloth. They were paper because they could be um, disposable if something got on them that was, you know, not a big deal because you just threw it away. They got expensive, though, after a while, and some people couldn't afford to do shirt fronts all the time. But paper shirt fronts were not uncommon to, to wear um, over your simple shirt. To kind of give it a more elegant feel. Mm. And so when he said, it's just chalk. So, of course, it was basically the first whiteboard when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. And it reminds me a bit of like a tie would cover up the mm-hmm. buttons on a shirt. Sure. That would cover sure. the entire Absolutely. front of the shirt. Absolutely. And make it yeah more. Yeah. Paper collars, starch paper collars and starch shirt fronts. That That's not a new. That was very common back in the day. I also wanted to throw this in, and then we'll jump oh, back sure. in, is that the childlike treasure map, treasure hunting is still actually alive today. And it does have a digital technological edge now. There's one that's not technological. It's letterboxing, mm-hmm. where people leave hints and steps and find treasure in these areas. That's mm-hmm. letterboxing. But then there's geocaching, right. which is a digital way of finding treasure. Sure. And sometimes it's, we found one. Yeah. And it, it is, it's not easy. No. <laughs> and and they leave these little hints of where to look and how many paces and all this kind of thing. So treasure hunting and the little fun little games are still alive today. But it was it was nice to see kids having a great time and as much of a technological geek as I am, they didn't turn on one eye anything. No iPad, oh, no iPhone. Of course no not. Any, they but, didn't but, have that. But they had such a great time. They had fun because they used their imagination. Right. They didn't let somebody else dictate what their imagination was. They had it themselves. So that's kind of the fun of that whole scene. 
the father, George, mentioned mm -hmm. the difference between stories and reality. And there was this mm -hmm. long discussion about you need to grow up and be practical. Sure. And at one point, he just got so flustered. I think it was because he tripped over the blocks and he flew right. into the bureau or whatever it was. And he said, that's it. I've I'm, have had it. There's a point where he just had it. And he said, Wendy, you're moving out of the nursery. And that was a physical step of you're moving out of these children, the, these this children area that you want to stay in. You're growing up. You are going to grow up. Right. You are too old for this. Yeah. You are filling the boys' heads with things they don't need to be filled with. It's time you left the nursery because you're not giving up these childish things. And so what a wonderful thought. There, There is this idea when you're a kid, when I'm a kid, I don't know, mm -hmm. you probably experienced this too, where I wanted to grow up so bad. Oh, yeah. When I was younger and I saw junior high friends of mine hanging around doing fun things or high school or whatever. Mm -hmm. I never, I never wanted to grow up to go to work though. But anyway, it was just, I always <laughs> wanted to grow, grow up faster. Sure. And part of what this story is, is I never want to grow up. I want to be who this young child forever. And that's, yeah, it still is around today. Uh, absolutely. I mean, now that I am a grown-up, I wish I could go back and be a child sometimes. Yep. Because children do have a much simpler existence than we do. Although, in this day and age, it's not as simple as when I was growing up. I'm sure when you were growing up. We didn't have electronic stuff when I was younger. When I was a child, our imagination was using sticks and blocks and running and playing outside and chasing the dog and, and pretending we were pirates or princesses or whatever. And so there was a, there's that, you know, element. I would love to go back to that time and, and be able to capture that youth, you know, and let go of the grown up stuff that I deal with sometimes. Build a fort, mm -hmm. pencil and paper and draw your world that you want to yeah. go to. Yeah. The, the imagination, I mentioned it before, I'm going to mention again, of this film, shadows that can be separated from your body, mm -hmm. a magical island that you can fly to mm -hmm. by having a happy thought, pixie dust, and belief, faith and, and trust. faith and trust, and you can fly there, and you can take other people with you mm -hmm. to this magical island with mermaids and pirates and all this magical thing. Right, but did you notice, and this is where I don't know if, I mean, I would assume a lot of people have picked up on this, but when Peter told them that they could fly, and mind you, he chased you know his shadow around the room, and that was kind of a funny thing. When she finally sewed the shadow back on, and he's like, come on, let's go to Neverland. Because he wanted to take her to Neverland because she told him she was going to have to grow up. So her last night in the nursery. So tomorrow she was growing up. And he's like, why would you want to do that? Come to Neverland. where You don't have to grow up at all. And so she decided, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. But we can't stay for a while. But let's go. Let's go. It'll, it'll be a lot of fun. And so when he was explaining to them how to fly, he couldn't explain it at first. And I thought that was very, you know... There are things in life that we encounter that you can't really explain very well. You just know how things are. And then eventually when you start to think about it, you realize, oh, here's what it is. So when he told them, all it takes is faith and trust. Let's, let's play a clip. Okay. 
But Peter, how do we get to Neverland? Fly, of course. Fly? It's easy. You think of a wonderful thought. Any happy little thoughts? Uh-huh. Like toys at Christmas, sleigh bells, snow? Yep. Watch me now. Here I go. It's easier than fly. He can fly. He can fly. He flew. Now you try. I'll think of a mermaid lagoon. Oh, underneath a magic moon. I'll think I'm in a pirate's cave. I'll think I'll be an Indian brain. Now everybody try. One, two, three. We can fly. We can fly. We can fly. I mean, I'm ready to fly. I mean, that's exactly that is so cool. That's such a great way to, you know, how cool would that be if that was all it took? Any happy little thought. Now, did you catch on to the happy little thoughts? Mm -hmm. The first thing she said was toys at Christmas, sleigh bells, snow. And I'm thinking to myself, I guess kids really enjoy that. And if you're not used to it, then obviously you don't know what that's all about. But then she said, I think I'll, I'll think of a mermaid lagoon underneath a magic moon. I'll think I'm in a pirate's cave. I think I'll be mm. an Indian brave, yep. which are exactly the three main components of Neverland. And to fit in exactly with what you're saying is, I thought that that was part of what Neverland was in Once Upon a Time, mm-hmm. was a creation within certain frameworks of what Malcolm wanted. Mm-hmm. And so, except for the shadow in Skull Rock in Once Upon a Time, Mm -hmm. basically said, you can only do this and you can't do this forever. Right. And so there were this framework. But I believe that he created that. And I think that decisions that Malcolm made as Peter Pan, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, (laughs) is that he, he ruined it. He... There were things that he did that made it not so beautiful anymore, that it was dark and that kind of a thing. So he controlled what was on that island. But I think you're right. I think if we're going to go with this imagination and children and belief and faith and all that, that they made that island what they wanted. So they lived out these dreams that they had. That's an incredible thought, really, to fly there. And then experience those things that you wanted. Mm-hmm. Now, there was no snow and sleigh bells and all that for no. Wendy. No. Wendy had a tough time. We'll talk about that a little bit. Poor Wendy. <laughs> she did. She they, did they said too. poor Nana, but I'm going to say poor Wendy. Yeah. And we'll, we'll leave it at that. But I, I do agree the imagination, I think, had a lot to do with it. It did. So. It did. And, and again, that comes back to, was it a dream? Because that would make sense. Mm-hmm. It fits in very nicely. Because as we know, dreams... Dreams are, and I'm talking not your hopes and dreams, I'm talking about actual dreams at night. If you think about it, your dreams very much seem real to you a lot of the times. I mean, I know people have really crazy dreams, and I've had some really bizarre, weird, weird, strange dreams. But there's so many elements of reality to the dream that it's hard to tell sometimes that you're actually dreaming. Because you're so immersed in what feels real to you. Right. And that's why I think it's so fascinating and easy to go to someplace like a Neverland. Because 
it's such a real place in your in your dreams. You make it, and there's elements of reality in your dreams. Definite real things that are you know pulled in. Places are familiar. You are sometimes at your house, but it's not really your house. It's a house you might dream of or right. think about components of multiple places you've been, you know, uh, relationships that are not quite exactly the way they are in reality, but there may be past relationships or wishful thinking relationships. I mean, there's, there's little elements of reality to a dream. The movie Inception, and I've talked about this before because I really love that movie, was brilliant in how they came across and explained it. It's, I mean, it's just, it's brilliant. So I think there's some of that here that James Bar- James M. Barry, who wrote Peter Pan, must have grasped, but didn't you know articulate it the way we would hear it or the way it was you know articulated in Inception. But true. But I think he understood children and their games and the reality and versus fantasy that you know. There were great quotes that I read that I didn't write down, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if you really want more of this type of ideas, go ahead and Google uh, J.M. Barry's quotes. Mm. He's really, he, he really had something. And I think definitely that's what Walt was thinking when he, when he saw it. He, wow, this is, this is big right here. Well, I think it impacted so. Walt when he was a young boy, the play that he saw, but then also when he actually acted in it, he was able to fly and he was able to fly through the use of pulleys and wire and rope. But with animation, he could actually make them fly. Yeah. I mean, how No string, cool. no, no rope. Str- yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing to hold them back or keep them, you know, tied to the stage or anything like that. In fact, in the making of that we saw, he his rope broke and he flew into the front <laughs> row, you know, when he was a kid. So Walt led an he, exciting life. He did. Flew, into the crowd. But he flew. That was yeah, the point. Yeah. It wasn't like he was just being pulled straight up and down. It's 4D, he man. He went flying into the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he did fly. <laughs> when I think of Peter Pan, and it hit me almost instantly, is this, to me, is a quintessential Disney music film. The choral background oh, yeah. and that kind of a thing. It was very Disney-esque. And... It's no wonder that they use this type of music playing in the Fantasyland area and that kind of a thing, or in the rides and, and that. So I really connect with Disneyland and the child, uh, me as a child in that realm when I hear the music. This and uh, Alice in Wonderland for me are the mm. two quint- quintessential Disney cartoons or animated features simply because a lot of the same characters a lot of um, are voice actors voice diff, you know characters on each movie yep. we'll talk about alice in another episode but mm-hmm. there's definitely very uh distinct things about these movies that really do speak disneyland and peter pan i, I think part of the reason peter pan so much is because tinkerbell tinkerbell and Jiminy Cricket were two of the main intro- introduction pieces that Walt used for mm-hmm. Disneyland. Seminal characters. I mean, right. these are characters that are widely known and not beloved. Mickey Mouse, but no, the, people Mickey knew Mouse. who they were. Oh, yeah. absolutely! But let me tell you, Mickey has become that mm-hmm. more so than even Tinkerbell and Jiminy Cricket. I mean, Jiminy Cricket is not as widely used anymore for you know announcements or things like that. Whereas Tinkerbell is like 
she's the hostess of Disneyland and has been since the early, you know, inception of and the show. Uh, and that's what then. I'm saying. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to play a clip of uh, the second star to the right from the beginning of Peter Pan. And if you're a Disney fan at all, you've probably heard all the different versions in the Club 33 version of the song. Also, I think there's a gallery version that they play in the Disney probably. gallery. Mm -hmm. But I want to play you a cut of this song, I'll fade it in after, that is a, from an album called Hi-Ho Mozart. That's really, hmm. it's a beautiful version of it. And I've got a link in the show notes if you want to buy digital version of this. Because anymore, if you don't get a CD at the right time, it's just, it's it's gone. But a digital version you can get. So I'm going to play the second start of the right from the film. I'm going to fade in the version of it from Hi-Ho Mozart. So here we go. That's a pretty version. Yeah, very classical and slightly different feel to it. Mm -hmm. Almost Gregorian or something. Um, yeah, yeah. We were introduced to a first male Peter Pan in this cartoon, in yes. this animated feature. Yeah, because most of them were typically played by females. And a tink with depth mm -hmm. by gum. This Tinkerbell... <laughs> She has been known as a today today's woman. Yes. But I also call her a flying mood ring. <laughs> she changed colors, and when she was red, look out. Oh, very she much so. She was mad, upset, mad, mad, mad. Mm -hmm. jealous. Whew. So. Well, yeah. She had a little thing for Peter. She did. And I, I don't want to talk too much, but there... 
there were a lot of things in the movie hook that I really liked. For instance, mm-hmm. the movie hook talked more about the crowing. Right. This animated feature, he crowed a couple of times. Right. But there wasn't a discussion about. That's why I like. Rufio in the movie hook say you know you can this and you can that can can you crow mm-hmm. you are the pet like a big deal but in the animated feature he just he crowed here and there peter pan was a real tough guy he didn't really relate well with wendy he knew that she was important but when she started talking to him he said girls talk too much he kept calling her girl and she said i have a name Mm. wendy moira angela darling and he goes that's too much wendy's fine and she's like and i think she said actually well then wendy is just fine but what I was going to say is Peter Pan, you know, growing up, Peter Pan was Mr. Awesome. He was, I'm going to beat Hook and Hook can't get me and I'm going to have so much fun and blah, 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 blah. As an adult, and especially after watching Once Upon a Time now, my view of Peter has changed a tiny little bit. He's definitely not evil like Once Upon a Time's Peter Pan was. Right. Once Upon a Time's Peter Pan, crazy evil. And Robbie Kay brilliant fantastic brilliant yeah. actor just insanely good so uh yeah that's why it was easy to look at him and realize just how evil he was but this peter pan what i noticed about him he was very self-centered mm-hmm. <laughs> all about peter <laughs> he he wasn't interested in what wendy had to say he was interested in what she could do for him that's why he took her he took her because he took her to Neverland because he wanted to have a mother because she started explaining what a mother does and what a mother is. And she, he wanted that for himself. I, I think it's interesting that Peter created this land, this Island apart from growing old, getting older. Right. He wanted to stay young forever and have this island basically to himself. Mm-hmm. But he knew that there was something missing. And the thing that was missing was a mother figure. Right. And so he said, Wendy, come and read stories to us. Right. Come and be our mother. Yeah, no thought of... He knew that there was something missing. Even in this perfect self-centered, all about right. making him happy. What would what was he missing? She he didn't give any thought whatsoever to what that would do to her family. That she would then mm-hmm. miss her own mother. Yep. Yep. He didn't. It didn't dawn on him that that would happen. And I don't think he was doing it maliciously. I think that again because he didn't have that mother figure around to teach him how to be not selfish, to teach him how to be kind to other people. And, I think mm-hmm. he just naturally inherently kind of became very self-centered and wendy was the voice of reason she did nurture him and 
he I think he knew that he didn't say it, but I think he understood that there was good coming with her when she came to Never Never Land. So, but what I was going to say is that, you know, that's that whole jealousy thing. Mm -hmm. Tink had a little thing for Peter. And I don't know if it was a, you know, I have a crush on you kind of a thing. I think it was Peter's mind. Right. So very selfish. Again, Tink didn't have a mother either. Kind of very selfish. And Tink actually was very, she was pretty feisty. She saw Tinkerbell was not as nice as we are really led to believe, in my opinion. She was pretty quick to get the Lost Boys to shoot her out of the sky. Absolutely. And not come to Wendy's aid when the mermaids wanted to drown her. Right. And it was so... She really didn't stand up for Wendy until maybe the end. Pretty much. But it was always this this battle. Well, so. which is very much a commentary on, unfortunately, girls, young girls. They're, when jealousy is involved, when boys' attention is involved, other people's attention is involved, you and you get somebody who's, you know, captain of the football team, you get girls from all different groups, you know, social groups, who have a thing for the captain of the football team or whatever, and jealousy ensues. And yep. it, it makes for interesting... Dynamics, And I think that's what we have here is that Tinkerbell was very jealous of any attention on anybody other than her. And she ratted out where Peter Pan's hideout was to Hook. Mm-hmm. Out of jealousy. And, right. And, but Hook manipulated her. Right. And said, Wendy's the problem. We need to get rid of Wendy. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can do that is let us know where the hideout is, Tink. Mm-hmm. And he's much more manipulative in this animated feature than he was than he is on the television show Once Upon a Time. Yeah. Hook, Hook is not a manipulator. No, not especially. Peter Pan is a manipulator. Oh, Peter Pan was major manipulator. So it's very interesting. Peter Pan is sort of the good guy here and there. He is self-centered. Sure. But he did return Tiger Lily to bring peace to... The land. Well, exactly, because again, it was all about the games they understood, and mm-hmm. they had their games they played with the, you know, with the Indians, and even Hook was a whole game to him. Yeah, absolutely. Did you notice what time was on Big Ben? I did. Wow, that was just we. That's we didn't know we random. We're, we're going to hop all over the place. Apparently, yeah. So when they're <laughs> flying to Neverland, they land on Big Ben on the arms of Big Ben. And it was 8.15. Just like a certain clock in Storybrooke. Yep. Exactly. All right. Back to the whole Tinkerbell and the whole jealousy and Wendy thing. It was funny to me how Tinkerbell was jealous of Wendy. And then Wendy was jealous of the mermaids when she met them. And... Tinkerbell was back to being jealous. And even the mermaids were jealous of Wendy. So there was just jealousy mm-hmm. all the way around. Yep. Very typically girl jealousy. Very typical of, you know, young girls, preteen girls. Just very funny. The pirates were very non-Disney family-friendly movie pirates. Well, they were pirates. There were some things discussed that I was like, huh? There was a, a little speech 
when Smee and Hook were talking about kidnapping Tiger Lily. Mm-hmm. And Captain Hook said, I've got it. Tiger Lily, Smee. And Smee says, Tiger Lily, Captain? Captain Hook said, the chief's daughter. She'll know where Pan is hiding, Mr. Smee said. But, but, but will she talk, Captain? Captain Hook said, oh, a little persuasion might be in order. Let me see. Boiling in oil? Uh, keel hauling? Uh, marooning? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's a little family-friendly fair. Pretty violent. But, Bo- again, pirates. I'm sure. And, and then... I mean, I looked up keel hauling. That's tying a rope around you, throwing you over the side of the ship. Mm-hmm. Hauling you off the keel. Right. <laughs> Boiling in oil. Okay. Marooning. I, that doesn't sound too much fun either. Ask Jack Sparrow. He got marooned tw- uh, twice. So Actually, more than that. But anyway. I mean, and, and then when they discovered where uh, Peter Pan's hideout is, Mr. Smee says, but Captain, wouldn't it be more humane-like to slit his throat? <laughs> this is Peter Pan. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, it's just, you know, again, the shock of a family-friendly Disney movie is kind of really not. And that's true. We do want to show, well, they wanted to show pirates mm-hmm. being pirates. Right. And so anyhow, it's just kind of shocked. So. Well, again, you know... The the stuff that was discussed was pretty straightforward, but it was kind of sugar-coated because it's an animated feature. Right. Do you know what I mean? It was given a totally different dressing. But if you think about it, that, and that was the least of what they could have actually sure. <laughs> had them well, say. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like the least horrific. When you think about, if you know anything at all about Pirates of the Caribbean, and I'm talking the Disney ride, if you listen to the words of the song... Right. We pillage, we plunder, we rifle and loot, kidnap and ravage, and don't give a hoot. Mm-hmm. We char and flame, ignite. I mean, just <laughs> yeah. we burn up the city. We're really a fright. It's it's pretty it's pretty bad. I mean, basically, they talk about kidnapping, right? Rape. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm okay. gonna be blunt here because right. that's really what they're talking about and that is what happened pirates of the caribbean that's what they pirates were pirates man hook in the animated feature doesn't like accordion players obviously because he shot and killed the poor accordion player mm. and the guy was singing don't know if he killed them we're assuming he did because he fell in the water with a splash we didn't see him fall in the water with a splash well, all we heard was the splash okay well we he shot at him for sure he... and then he disappeared that was the end of the accordion player, as far as we know. But, again, they didn't show it. Right. Oh, I know. I know. But still, I'm like, wow. Okay. But if you think about it, a little child's gonna not going to watch this movie and go, what happened to him? Did he die? Little kids just go, oh, ha, ha, he fell in the water. And that's all they're going to think. Right. Little kids. I'm talking little it's kids. It's going to disturb adults like me, though. Well, yeah, if you think about it, it does. It is a little bit disturbing. The animation, though, was... I'm going to continue. The, the animation was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We're, we're back on schedule... It's incredible. It really was beautifully done. I also love the pirates because they were from all over the world. Mm. Sweden. Mm-hmm. And it was, they were all from all over the place. Sure. They probably picked them up in, in the various ports as they 
traveled around. It was like a small world, but for pirates. Kind of. You're from all over. And and when you think about it, now they got to replace an accordion player. Where do you get an accordion player? Probably France. Probably. You know what I'm saying? So see, you have to, I mean, these pirates, they do something wrong and they get to walk the plank or they get shot out of the crow's nest. Wow. So we got to replace them. That's why they're you international. Play really good and sing really good. And yeah. <clears throat> did you notice that when Tink was flying, and probably they all did, but I noticed it with Tink when she flew, it was like she was swimming in the air. Hmm. hmm. That's, Didn't pay attention to that whole part. Yeah. She moved very smoothly through mm-hmm. the air. Also, I realized that flying wasn't just flying; it also means you can float. Mm-hmm. And stand on clouds. Yes. So really magical, not just flying. Right. And Tink, I couldn't understand what Tink was saying, no. except looking at her. And when she was red, I knew she was mad. Sure. And then when she had hands on hips and, hmm. you know, walking around and doing her There th- were definite facial expressions that Mark Davis, who is the animator of Tinkerbell, mm-hmm. is pure genius. He captured exactly the emotion that was supposed to be portrayed. But the audience didn't speak Tinkerbell. No. But Peter Pan did. So did Hook. Hook did. And the Lost Boys did. Yeah. So they all speak Tink, but the audience didn't. So that's why we needed somebody to translate for us. Right. Because initially, Tink was just a ball of light. Right. And that's why in the animated feature, they needed more emotive hand gestures and facial expressions. And they brought in the wonderful Margaret Carey. They did indeed. They did indeed. We were fortunate enough to meet her a few years ago. She's a lovely lady. And listening to her tell stories about being the live action reference for Tinkerbell, that's pretty, it was pretty impressive and pretty, pretty amazing. We might hear a bit of her later. Maybe. Just saying. The first thing that they asked me to do was to do a pantomime of uh, dropping down on the big uh, looking glass or the mirror that was on Wendy's dresser and see herself in the reflection and then take a look at herself and be pleased and then be unhappy at the size of her hips. (laughs) Yes. And so I said, sure. So that's what I did. But I must say, if any of you are watching Peter Pan, and you'd better be, because I'll check up on you. Anyway, you will notice that she is not preening. I played her as if she was seeing herself for the first time. I figured, why would they have a mirror in Neverland? So that's what she's doing. And she's she's almost saying out loud, oh, I'm cute. Oh, that, oh, look at those wings. Oh, isn't that? Oh, oh my. And then get upset about her uh, hips being too large as far as she's concerned. She really is a girl. So when we actually got on the soundstage and I had my hair done up by the hairdresser before I came, didn't have to wear any makeup, <laughs> and came over to the set. And it was a set. They had props and things there. The first time that I stepped out in front, I said something like, Mr. Davis, do you want her to be ditzy like Betty Boo? Or do you want her to be like the queen of the fairies? And he said, Margaret, we want her to be you. 
And I said, golly, gee, I think I can do that. (laughs) And that is my personality. They had the two dimensions, the line drawing, the width and the height, and I gave the third dimension. And that's the way I try to explain it. We did have that that great honor to spend some time listening to her tell stories. And she is so much fun. Oh, she's She is on it. I mean, she she's really... She's quite sassy. And she's she, sassy and she's fun. She so. And that's where Tinkerbell gets her personality. Yeah. Seriously, Margaret Carey is Tinkerbell. I mean, she was a live action reference, but her personality was very much captured in Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell is very, very sassy and very independent and very... <clears throat> and yeah. hands on hips and, you know, wagging her little head and shaking her. And that's Margaret. I mean, she was just very... And yet yeah, just... She was very sweet when we were done with our time meeting with her everybody was kind of milling about and running around she comes up to me she goes well, can i give you a hug and i'm like ah, mm-hmm. are you kidding me mm-hmm. of course i'll be happy to hug tinkerbell i've got some pictures um with her where she goes okay cross your hands over your chest and kind of give a <clears throat> face to the camera so we we did these cute little poses where we were back to back and it was just it was very cute it was very tinkerbell and it was just it was adorable so we'll have to post some yeah. Yeah. In the in the show yeah. notes, but anyway, what I was saying is, is that the, Mark Davis and the animators they really stepped up their game with Peter Pan, and they, you know, put some amazing emotion into these characters, facial expressions, and the actors, the inflections, and things like that. And to me, that's very similar to what we have with Once Upon a Time, mm-hmm. where the actors are amazing at. <laughs> Portraying emotion, and they're amazing at giving us these facial expressions. So you know exactly what's going on with them. True, very true. The first dog lady wants her dinner, but it is not time yet. So you may be hearing a little yips here and there, but we have good mics, so you're yeah. not going to hear very loud. All right. So that hook is pretty. He's a pretty sneaky guy. Mm-hmm. That hook. Yeah. He kidnapped Tiger Lily as a ruse to get Peter Pan. And the Indian tribe blamed the Lost Boys and Peter Pan. Yeah. Hook got off scot-free. Right. That's pretty incredible to kidnap somebody and then have them blame somebody else. Hook basically made sure that that the chief knew that it was Peter and the Lost Boys. That was kind of the whole point. He wanted, he purposely did that in order to frame them. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was successful. But the mermaids, pretty mermaids. Mm-hmm. And that's another Disney and Once Upon a Time connection. Yes. But I remember the famous, back in the day, they had mermaids out where the submarines were. And. Yes. I think one of I think one of our friends knew someone that actually was a mermaid there, but that's Possibly. a whole whole different story. But I do know that there were stories of the reason why the mermaids had to be taken out of that attraction is because these guys would s- literally try to jump over and in, into mm. the in the little lagoon and swim with the mermaids and yeah. go talk to them, and they couldn't have it because it was too dangerous. True. So. But the mermaids had a thing for Peter Pan. They did. Wow. And, and by the way, there's a little red-haired one that spends a 
good portion of the time in the water. And if you listen to her speak, that's actually the mermaid that was voiced by Margaret Carey. Mm-hmm. So not only was she the live action reference for Tinkerbell, she was the voice of the little red haired mermaid. That's great that she had a voice in the film as well. That's she, really great. She was an actress in the forties mm-hmm. and fifties yeah. that if you go look up her, you know, information, Wikipedia, IMDB, however you want to do it, you find her, you'll see she was in some pretty impressive, you know, productions. And we will have a link. She has a website, and I know she's coming out with she, a book. Yes. And yeah. so Tinkerbell. we definitely want you to support right. her. What she's her doing. site is Tinkerbell Talks, okay. and it's fantastic. She she gives excerpts from her book, and she tells you her history, her story. Um, she, she's, a, she's a great lady. Really, really just love her to pieces. I love the crocodile, but I also love that Peter Pan, who could be a fantastic ventriloquist, Oh, he can throw his voice, and he mimics all kinds of different people, specifically Hook. Oh yeah. So yeah, I love the scene where he's yelling down to Smee, you know, take Tiger Lily back, return her to the Indian tribe, and so he's going, and then Hook, the real Hook, looks down, saying, like, "What are you doing, you blocky, blithering blockhead?" I'm doing exactly what you told me. He goes, "No, take her back. You know, we're waiting for Pan." And then it happened again. It was just so funny. Yeah, poor that, Smee, was, that just, was quite a comical little yeah. scene. And poor Tiger Lily almost drowned. But let's yeah. go back to where they went. Where did they go? It was Skull, Skull Rock. Rock. Yeah. And what the first thing out of my mouth when you see Skull Rock on the animated feature, I believe it was out of yours as well, looks just yeah. like the Skull Rock from Once Upon a Time. True. From Neverland. Then. Yep. So it's interesting. And I, I also remember as a child, because I am old, mm-hmm. in Disneyland, they had a Skull Rock mm. and a pirate ship that mm. you could go in and get tuna fish sandwiches mm. because it was Chicken of the Sea. Chicken of the Sea sponsored. Probably, sponsored yeah. the restaurant in there. Yeah, yeah. And I remember Skull Rock and they had waterfall coming out mm. and it was really incredible. But that is all gone now. So yeah. when I'm telling you this, you're going, Jeff, you're crazy. There's no Skull Rock at Disneyland now, but there used to be. No, and it's exactly where Dumbo is now. Mm-hmm. That yep. is, if I remember correctly, is exactly where it was. I believe that is absolutely true. So we remember when we talked about Snow White, where we had the evil queen had two different ways. She was trying to kill snow white put snow white to sleep Mm -hmm. she tried with the huntsman Mm -hmm. that didn't work so then the plan b was the poison apple and so now we see hook with his multiple ways to try and get pan Mm -hmm. first kidnap tiger lily yep and get peter pan that way that didn't work then kidnap tink have him tell where the have her tell him yeah have her tell him where peter pan's hideout is Mm -hmm. that didn't work nope so then in the end he and i know we're skipping around but in the end he kidnapped wendy Mm -hmm. and that worked and that yeah yeah. all of them so we see again that it's not just a linear story with one thing. We see the antagonist trying multiple ways 
And I really love that scene when the pirates and Hook and Smee surround the hangman's tree, which is where Peter Pan's hideout is. Mm -hmm. And Wendy started talking about mother. And the interesting thing is the it's brought up, well, we, we've been here so long we've forgotten our mother. And she starts singing your mother and my your, your mother, mother and mine, mine. that song and Smee starts crying as a joke I was thinking I wonder if they all start crying because I mean it's such a beautiful song and then Smee starts crying and the other pirates start crying and Hook basically looks at Smee and says come on quit crying <laughs> you know we got to get Pan what's wrong with you but uh, it was really and then he Smee pulls up his shirt and he's got a mother tattoo on his <laughs> chest so they they understood. They knew mother. They understood that. Mm-hmm. We completely skipped over the whole Indian encampment thing. I don't want to skip over it. It's part of the movie. We need to talk right. about it. Okay. So I thought it was really funny that Wendy decided she wanted to. They wanted to explore the island once they got there, and so Wendy wanted to go see the mermaids, and the boys wanted to go see the Indians. They wanted to go hunt Indians. Totally inappropriate, but they right. wanted to go hunt for Indian braves. Yeah. But again, that was part of the game. And the Lost Boys go, sure. So they traipsed through the whole forest, you know, following the leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a classic Peter Pan song. Yeah. We're going to get him and we're going to capture him. And they have no idea what they're doing. Meanwhile, the Indians are surrounding them, hiding. And exactly what John was saying the plan was to capture these Indians. We'll encircle them and we'll just surprise them. Too late, the Indians already got them. And that was the whole point of where that whole thing ended up because normally in that game, they take him to the Indian camp and then they let him go. Right. But because Tiger Lily had been captured and they thought they had her, the Indians thought that the Lost Boys had her, they were not going to let them go. They were going to pretty much burn them at the stake. They were going to roast them. Right. So then Peter brings her back, brings rescues Tiger Lily, brings her back, and then all of a sudden they have a conversation. And this is where Wendy gets jealous, because Wendy's jealous of Tiger Lily. So Wendy's jealous of the mermaids. Wendy's jealous of Tiger right. Lily. Tinkerbell is jealous of Wendy. Wendy's jealous of... T- I mean, it was just very funny, the whole jealousy thing. Um, Tiger Lily and, the, and Peter kind of start dancing around, which is very, you know... Typical, and that's what they're used to doing. And that's what prompted Wendy to be so jealous. Yeah, as the whole Tiger Lily dancing around with, with Peter. And I know that, you know, the whole Indian segment of this film. There's a lot of inappropriate and things with that. But Politically the, incorrect. True. And the one thing I will say is that probably in the fifties there was this. People were interested Very in the so. Indian culture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Cowboys and Indians was huge, huge on television. Yes, and, and in movies, even Lord. on the Lu- I Love Lucy episode, sure. there was this discussion about you know, the Indians on the reservation and all mm-hmm. that. And again, that was not handled well. But I'm no. just saying there was this interest <clears throat> in the Indian culture, Indian. 
folks on the mm-hmm. reservation there. Right. But you had, I mean, Lone Ranger was huge in yeah. the early 50s. Right. I mean, massively huge. That was like a big deal. So it was a very fascinating, you know, cowboys and Indians, cowboys and Indians kind of thing. So it was, it was kind of natural that they'd want to, you know, get involved in that whole thing. That was just a very interesting segment. Now, what makes the red man red? That was, again, very politically incorrect. But again, at the, at the time, that was very much part of what was going on at the time. Right. Um, and I think now we we definitely understand that people aren't just nicknames or names. That There's actually, there's a whole culture there. And it's not, it's, it's not boiled down to... You know, a stereotype. It is. It's well, a lot it's more than that. It's not just the color so. of your skin, and right. that's. I think that's the. That is a huge, important lesson to bring out. Is you know they were people. They yes. had families. They had parties. They had fun. They, you know, loved their loved ones and were worried about them and were willing to fight for their loved ones like anybody else. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's that whole again politically incorrect. Now, at the time, that was very widely accepted view, and it was it was fun. It was considered fun. And again, I like the fact that the Lost Boys didn't actually see them as horrible, evil, awful creatures. They actually had fun playing games with them. Yeah, it became a game. We'll capture you, and then we'll let you go. And right. you can capture us. And you know, sometimes we win, sometimes they win. And and they, it was very matter of fact. They had no prejudice, which I liked yeah. about that. That yeah. was a very strong point. Is that yeah? These are our buddies, man. They, we play we play games with them all the time. Sometimes we win, sometimes they win. Very good. I I wasn't sure how we were going to handle that, and I think you handled it very well. I, <laughs> it's part of the movie. I, I mean, know. and that was, and I actually like the fact that they kind of brought in some elements of the culture into the movie because, again, it's very common for Indians to celebrate and have dance around a fire pit at, in the evening. I mean, it's a very festive culture. I know a number of men that yes. are still involved with the Indian dancing and powwows and things today. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you from certainty that there are people that sing the Indian songs mm-hmm. and play the Indian drums and dance the Indian dances. Mm-hmm. And it's a revered uh, occasion. It's not something that they take lightly no, either. No. So it's very important to the culture. And so anyhow. It's, it is a rich heritage. It and is. And it is good that it's being passed on and still being, you know, brought out and hopefully people can be educated about this right i mean unfortunately not to go off on a soapbox or anything but unfortunately indians were not treated very well no in our country no and hopefully things are better now i'm not i'm not even aware of um just what that is at this point in time i know in some places it's not they're still not being treated well and hopefully that will change but I like the fact that Peter Pan brought out that there were good things to appreciate about the the Indian culture. Well, and also that Peter Pan knew that it was important to the chief to return mm-hmm. Tiger Lily. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he brought out the peace pipe and there was celebration because sure. his daughter had returned. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was another great part of the animated feature is that Peter Pan was a peacemaker mm-hmm. and he actually cared. Yeah. And so in this, in this Island, whether it was a dream or not, that there was this city, if you will, the, this area that set up with 
people who cared about other people. And even though they're in a different section, but Peter Pan knew that it was important to him, to the chief. So. Right. They respected each other's differences. Right. They respected each other's cultural things. And they respected each other as people. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what better you know message is there than that? True. True. So I like the fact that, you know, that is vastly different from how once upon a time Peter behaved towards anybody else. Right. Because even though he didn't go visit Indian cultures, which I thought was interesting, and Tiger Lily is a great character that potentially could show up at some point in time. Could. I'm kind of surprised they didn't have Tiger Lily. So Tiger Lily, in a sense, that was something I wanted to bring out. Kidnapping Tiger Lily... Even though it wasn't Peter who did that, but kidnapping her, making them think it was Peter, was very much to me like Peter Pan in Once Upon a Time, kidnapping Wendy Mm -hmm. and keeping her on the island and making her brothers basically do his bidding because that's really what happened, right? So that to me was uh, very similar in that respect. Granted, in the in the animated feature, it was not Peter who did the kidnapping, but it was still reminiscent of that. I wonder if Peter Pan, still talking about Once Upon a Time here, I wonder if Peter Pan told Greg Mendel, I will help you find your father. Oh, I'm sure and he probably did. maybe that's how he hoodwinked him and Tamara in to do his bidding. Well, here's the thing, though. Actually, take that back. Did Peter Pan actually ever speak to Greg Mendel? That's a good we point. don't know if he ever did or not. We know that Tamara got her orders from the front, somebody. The front office. The home, home office. Home office, sorry, yeah. The home office, which was Peter. But right. how did Peter communicate that? We never really got that. And that was something I know we talked about at the wrap-up um, with the greetings from Storybook folk, mm-hmm. Storybrooke folks. We wanted to see more of that whole backstory of Neverland. We could have They could have stretched out the whole Neverland for the entire Season three story arc. There are a group of fans that are really pushing for a Neverland spinoff. And I think that would be very interesting. I know that every once in a while there's somebody that says, hey, Adam, you know, and Robbie, we're pushing for a Neverland spinoff. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Which actually, if they did do a Neverland spinoff, that'd be fantastic. I think it would have a much bigger audience. Than unfortunately, once upon a time in Wonderland did. Well, we got a. Oh, I, I don't want to go into the whole thing. Wonderland on its own really never had a chance to kind of grow, but with Neverland being in Once Upon a Time proper, mm-hmm. we got a taste of it. Right. And so, if they spun that show off, there's a huge audience that already knows kind of what to expect. Right. So it's an easy. It would be an easy start. I don't mm-hmm. know if they'll let them. I don't know if ABC will say, yeah, sure. Yeah, you never know. know. But at this point, I think it would be a fantastic option because, again, they could explore. And so many so many things, elements from the movie could be brought into it. Yeah. The, the Indian encampment with Tiger Lily could be you know, an element that they could bring in. Yeah, they could do it better and differently now. Sure. So. Sure. Hmm. So many things. The mermaids, they could have a whole thing. I mean, we got the taste of the mermaids in right. in the story arc that we did see. Um, and they were pretty evil, actually. In Once Upon a Time, yeah. Right. True. They were not evil in the movie. No. But they no, were no, no. pretty vicious towards Wendy, almost drowning her. Right. 
Wendy, Wendy barely made it out of there alive. She so, really kind of got beat up a little bit. Yeah, and and mistreated. And, and she all took that. it all in stride. Oh, all right. Well, you know, and she got a little indignant, you know. But for the most part, she kind of rolled with the punches, and that was that. Yes. And did you notice we saw kind of more of this in Once Upon a Time than in the animated feature? Pan playing the pan flute. Because mm. you hear that little dun dun little flute sound in the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. I never really considered that that was Peter Pan playing that, but that's oh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. who it was yeah. so kind of yeah. interesting and in once upon a time he was the pied piper right. playing the pan flute right luring all these lost boys mm-hmm. to take them to never neverland and right so. right that was one heck of a sword fight i love the sword fight in skull rock and i love the sword fight at the end on hook's ship yes it was a very Harkening back to those old black and white Errol Flynn, Errol Flynn movies. Mm-hmm. Just so incredible. Yeah. With the swashbuckling, swashbuckling and the um, shadow reflection and all that kind of thing. It was just really, yeah. really great. Yeah. Great awesome. stuff. And it's no wonder that that's one of the scenes that they pulled into Phantasmic. Is that whole sword fight? Oh yeah, on, on the pan ship. Pan sh- or, I'm sorry, ship. hook ship. Yeah, yeah. And which, by the way, that whole scene in uh, Phantasmic is pretty cool. I mean, the the you know the pirate ship is going around the lagoon. Mm-hmm. Um, at least we're talking about Disneyland, yes, because it's not the same in Florida. Mm-hmm. But at Disneyland, the pirate ship goes around the lagoon and. Hook swings out on ropes and people fall from the mast into the, you know, the deck of the ship. And Wendy's in the back fighting off pirates and Smee's running around. We haven't really talked about Smee a whole lot. I kind of wanted to bring out the comparisons of Smee. This Smee with the comparison of the Once Upon a Time Smee. He was actually similar to me. There were similarities, definitely. The red hat was a big one. Yeah. Smee knew a lot of stuff. Yeah. In this movie, because when there was that scene, I believe when he was shaving or <laughs> shaving the bird, but trying to <laughs> shave Thought he hook, had, yeah, right, shave hook, is he knew all these things. It was like oh, he yeah. had an ear to the ground to mm-hmm. listen to all these different types of whatever. So yeah. he had all this information and was the same with me in Once Upon a Time. Yeah, yeah. That scene when Rumpelstiltskin and he were talking. In the bar, mm. he had all this information, and oh, yeah. even in Storybrooke, yeah. he knew all this stuff. So Smee was the information guy; he knew all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he did the dirty work that mm-hmm. Hook wanted. But actually, Smee in Once Upon a Time was more of a rogue. He he worked for his own because kidnapping Belle. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Once Upon a Time here. When he kidnapped Belle. That wasn't for Hook. No. Or maybe it was. I think it was to get back at uh, Gold. Oh, it may have been. Yeah. It may have been Hook and and Cora at Mm -hmm. that point in time. Yeah. But 
anyway, point is, is that there were definite similarities, mm-hmm. you know, slight differences, I think age thing and just the whole mannerisms, there was, there was definite differences, but, uh, but it was really funny. Yeah. And the golden ship, but that was way at the end. I, I did That's want to talk about end. Captain Pan. <laughs> yeah. Because Wendy called him Captain, Captain Pan. Pan. Yeah. And that does, not specifically about Pan, but it does relate for me to Hook in Once Upon a Time. Because Hook was working for the king on the ship. And when the king double-crossed his brother, Liam, and Liam was killed, then he said, I'm the captain. We will... uh, sail under the uh, banner of the pirate. We're all pirates. I'm your captain. Yep. You can either serve me or walk the plank. Yep. And so much. we set up, and there you go. So we again, we didn't have a captain pan in Once Upon a Time. No. But we did have a servant on the boat becoming the captain. Right. So. Right. But um, but yeah, Pan was wearing hooks hat and clothes and all that and yeah that's so. true yeah he put on he put on the captain's dress and, and i don't mean dress dress I mean right his, his dress blues or dress whatever right. regiment yeah. regimental mm-hmm. red yeah and the pirate ship magically turned gold mm-hmm. returned to london, london. right I don't know where it was parked. We're not even going to go there. But here's but. the thing. Do you realize, though, that at the end, it took them back to London. However, when mom and dad got home, where was Wendy? Right. She That's was great asleep at the window, which yeah. is where she had started when they left to begin with. So she fell asleep at the window. Right? hmm The boys were asleep in their beds, which is where they had been left. So... We never saw them get off the ship. We never saw any of that. But I did love the whole, um, you know, was it a dream? Was it not a dream? Especially when you saw at the end when the mother looked out the window and said, George, look at this. Because when he started talking about all their adventures and, right. and they were like, you are definitely moving, you know, moving out of the nursery or whatever. And she's, or she said, I'm not, I don't No, I am going to move. You don't have to leave. You don't have to, you can say, you can say, no, nope, I'm definitely going to have to, to leave. But they looked out the window and there's the pirate ship cloud mm-hmm. going across the moon. And one of the most touching lines to me as an adult now for mm-hmm. a long time is the father saying, I haven't seen that since I was a boy. Right. So there's really hope for everyone now that adults can have this whimsy and magical imagination. Right. And that's what prompted him to say, you can stay in the nursery. And then she said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to be moving out. I'm going to be growing up. I think that was, you know, she recognized it was time to grow up. Yeah. So it was it was a fun little adventure. Or dream, or however you want to look at it. Because I think you can see it from both perspectives. 
how many instances of dreams can you think of in Once Upon a Time? Um, gosh, I know Rumpel had the dream of killing Henry. Yep. Emma had the dream of killing Regina, or was it Henry? It was Regina. And Emma had the dream of... Malcolm dreamed... Malcolm dreamed of, of Neverland. Neverland. Right. And the... I, I guess that's kind of what I was getting to, but also there was the, the dream when they put them in their sleep state, the, the fire room and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of dreams woven into Once Upon a sure. Time. But specifically, Malcolm said, I dreamed of this place. Mm -hmm. So it's like it was calling to him through his dreams, sure. which is pretty freaky. Mm -hmm. So anyhow. Yeah. All right. Are there anything else that you want to discuss? I can't think of anything. I think we've pretty much covered just about all of it. Okay. We're going to play a clip from our good friends at Skywalking Through Neverland. Great podcast about Disney and Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And here it is. Hey, hey, this is Sarah. And this is Richard. And we're coming to you from Neverland. In fact, we are Skywalking sky Through, through Neverland. Neverland. <laughs> and we are here to review the 1953 version of Peter Pan. That's right. There's been so many different versions, but this is the one that started it all. Yeah. Now, I hadn't seen this movie since I was a kid, and I'd only seen it once. What about you? I'm sure I'd seen it as a kid. Mm -hmm. But if I'd seen it as a kid, I'm sure this would have terrified me as a kid. Why do you think it would have terrified you? This is a scary movie. <laughs> this is a very scary you know what? movie. It was. Yeah, we wanted to go over our first impressions uh, now seeing it again after like 25 years or so. Get zooks. Yeah, it's okay. This this should have been rated R. <laughs> well, I I think it's no wonder that Once Upon a Time chose to make Peter Pan a villain because he is a spoiled brat. He's yeah. a selfish, selfish little boy. Yeah, I think once upon a time, really hit it on the head there, mm -hmm. making him a villain. I think so, too. Watching this 1953 version, he's nothing but a villain. Let's move on a bit. Okay. I want to just bring up some points to the music to Peter Pan. The You Can Fly song is actually a premonition for the entire film. Because in the very beginning of You Can Fly, Wendy mentions she would like to visit a mermaid lagoon which we see in Peter Pan. And John and Michael mention, I'm in a pirate's cave. I'm an Indian brave. And of course, we meet the pirates and the Indians. Now, speaking of Indians, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, song, this movie would not have been made today. No, no. In fact, Mark Davis, the one of the supervising animators on the film, said in an interview years later that, I'm not sure we would have done the Indians if we were making this movie now. <laughs> and if we had, we wouldn't do them the way we did back then. Now, of course, the way they are back then, I mean, we watching this now in 2014 and seeing the way Indians are portrayed in this it's movie. It's cringeworthy. It is. I mean, just the, on the design of their character alone. Yeah, very stereotypical. Very stereotypical. There's the song, Who Made the Red Man Red, where... Uh, yeah, the Indians are displayed as wild, savage, violent. And, of course, they speak in their stereotypical way with how. <laughs> yeah, pretty much if you'd seen any cartoons leading up to, like, the 1980s, they all talk like this. Really? Yes. Did wow. You, didn't you ever watch Tom and Jerry? 
I guess I did, but that just never... Engine, as a kid... Engine all talk like this. Wow. As a kid, you never really pick up on that. But if you think about the films at the time going on, like Westerns, movie Westerns, they all portrayed Indians that way in the 50s. It's just... Wow. Even at Disneyland, mm-hmm. they had that, that Indian statue in front of one of the stores. In Frontierland, right? No, no, no. On Main oh. Street. Oh, on Main Street. On Main Street. Uh-huh. And during our Disney tour... Uh, a while back, mm-hmm. the tour guide pointed out that in the, I guess, the Old West or wherever, if Indians saw this statue out front of a store, that meant Indians were welcome in that store. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so the fact that they even had to do that. Yeah. The fact that Disney would even put that out there. Well, I think um, Walt Disney liked, he collected that figure, I believe. I believe that was part of the tour that they mentioned that. Yeah, but still, I know. Put it away. Now, in this movie, I I kind of almost side with Captain Hook the whole time. <laughs> being being an adult now, like Captain Hook, at least he has a moral code, unlike Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. I know it's very interesting. <laughs> You're giving me this look, but yes. And what is Captain Hook's moral code? Well, his moral code is. Oh, what's the term he uses in Hook? If I'm going to kill, it's going to be for a reason, not just for jealousy? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. that That's more of a moral code than Tink. <laughs> <laughs> well, pirates always have moral codes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, his favorite movie was Peter Pan. And, of course, he named his ranch Neverland Ranch. Do I you was know? there. You were there? I've been there. Yep. It's a, quite a thing to see. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had statues of himself all over the place in these heroic poses. <laughs> really? Of yeah, himself? He, yeah. Anybody else? Uh, he had himself as Batman. <laughs> well, going back to Peter Pan. Okay. I'm very glad that Tinkerbell herself has become a classic character in her own right. Mostly thanks, actually, to Disneyland. Well, we would like to thank Jeff and Colleen for letting us come on Disney once again to talk about Peter Pan. Yeah, and asking us to watch this movie. <clears throat> Yeah, it was really fun. (laughs) Yeah, movie's like, what, an hour and a half long, but Mm -hmm. it took us like three hours to watch it because we just had to keep pausing it. And going, going, oh my gosh. Did they just say that? (laughs) Yep, yep. (laughs) Well, you can find us usually in Neverland, but when we're not there, we're at skywalkingthroughneverland.com and on Facebook. And of course, Twitter, we're at Skywalking Pod, and we love to get tweets from there. We're always talking with Jeff on Twitter. So look us up. And if you're a fangirl, well, I'm at Jedi Tink on Twitter, so you can connect with me there. So thank you, Jeff and Colleen. Yeah, we're kind of looking forward to our next assignment now. Yeah. Want to see how, 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 how these Disney films progress over time in, in terms of their political correctness. <laughs> yes. Oh, but we want you all to remember Neverland Never on, on Alderaan. Thank you guys so much. Yes, thank you. And we had a little bit of Margaret Carey in there too. Uh, Richard and Sarah, the host of Skywalking Through Neverland, did allow us to use a little clip from a couple of their uh, interviews with Margaret Carey. Mm-hmm. So that was really special too, as well. Yeah. So thank you so very much for joining us for our podcast about Disney's 1953 Peter Pan. Yeah. Lots of stuff to talk about. 
So mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. And next up, it's going to be... Pinocchio. Pinocchio, one of my favorite, favorite animated... Cl- I, I almost say that every time. But yeah. Pinocchio is really one of my favorites. And so that's what's coming up next. So please join us. Let other people know about our podcast and how they can subscribe. And until next time, we will talk to you soon. See you guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us for Disney Once Again. Disney Once Again is a Rony's Own Media production and part of the Once Upon a Time Fan Podcast. If you're new to the Once Upon a Time Fan Podcast, you can go to onceuponatimepodcast.com slash iTunes and subscribe to the feed. That way, you'll never miss another episode. We're building a community around this podcast on Facebook. You can get to it at facebook.com slash Disney once again. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, this is Jeff and Colleen saying... Talk to you soon.